Welcome to Direction Correct, a B-Blinks podcast with Colin Scott. Today's guest, Zach Love. Thanks to our sponsors, Worklytics. Generate actionable insights from work data while protecting your privacy using workplace analytics with our partners, Worklytics. Uh, who's who's yeah. your favorite band right now? Well, so, do you go by Scotty or Scott? I see. I've yes. heard Scott, Scotty, Scotty McCreary. Um, I'm following that. That is not my favorite musician, by the way. Um, it, it depends if you're on the inner circle or not. Can I, what, what does it take to get on your inner circle? Very little. Very okay. Little. Nice. Nice. Apparently not to... 50 podcasts. Cause I, ha- I still call him Scott and I'm not in the inner circle. <laughs> yeah. Just send me your Venmo Scott and we'll, we'll arrive at a number that works for you. Oh, um, Scotty's fine. You can call me Scotty. It's fine. Okay. Wow. All right. So Cole, I'm one up to you there, bud. Um, it's not hard to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now to answer your question though, Scotty, I'm like a, I'm old school. Like I love R&B. So like nineties R&B is my thing. So I'm, I'm stuck in like boys to men type oh, of wow. music. But if I had to say like today, um, I'm a big Bruno Mars fan. I actually just saw Taylor Swift with my wife down in Atlanta and I'm seeing Beyonce in August. So I, this year's a big year for us. These are like all of our favorites. I'm a big Adele fan. Um, you like the soul artist, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, big soul guy. <clears throat> Where do you it? stand on Whitney Houston? You know, she got bumped because of the Atlanta Hawks game, right? So they had to bump her. Taylor Swift kept her deal, but they bumped <laughs> Whitney. Or no, no, no. What am I? Is Janet Jackson? I'm getting them confused. I was like, I was like, I, I think Whitney Houston's Whitney. dead. She is dead. Yeah, I'm <laughs> okay. glad we're not recording this. We'd have to cut all of this. That would be terrible. Oh, we absolutely are recording, and we are not cutting it. <laughs> yeah. That's terrible. No, what do you mean by by Whitney? What about her? Well, I always saw her as like you know Beyonce, Adele, Whitney Houston, just these big voices, big soul. Like you know, have a lot of emotion in what they're singing. Absolutely. Yeah. Huge voice uh, with Whitney. I mean, she had some iconic songs, so she's up there for me for sure. I'm also a big Sam Smith guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, saw him in Atlanta. But yeah, Whit- Whitney, uh, Ariana Grande, I've heard her live. She has a super punchy voice. Um, again, a little soul there, too. Is that what you're into as well, Scotty? No, no, it's all Skrillex. It's how I go to sleep. It's how nice. I like pray at night and i you know take care of like the homeless children all to scroll access what i do <laughs> that that checks out you know i saw um <laughs> i went to in my bachelor party we went to las vegas and we saw calvin harris was djing at wet republic uh that's a story for offline for the three of us but let's just say there wasn't a square inch of that pool that wasn't occupied and oh my god i appreciate that style of music like the toddler's pool at a yeah. public park. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Do you record as well? I mean, like, this is an incredible setup. Yeah, you know, I haven't done it in a little while. Uh, I actually have a buddy who has a recording studio that I've popped into a few times, but um, I don't do a lot of recording here, per se. This is just kind of my my outlet space for when, um, <clears throat> when the two-year-old's getting a little too uh, stressful for us, Scotty. Well, see, I I don't even believe you for a second, Zach, or Dr. Love, as I've known to call you, (laughs) because isn't there something like a a band, Baby Got Zach? 
Yeah, thank you. That's a nice plug. Uh, I'll send you the check later for that, Cole. Um, <laughs> but we did, yeah, so we started this band. So me and a buddy, his name's Zach, too. Uh, there was a third Zach. We were called Three Zach Crew in college. We played, we went to UNC Chapel Hill together, and we play at, you know, different bars, fraternity parties, things like that. And then uh, literally one of the Zachs had a child. And so he was out. And so me and my other buddy, who's actually in medical school now, had to kind of rebrand. And so we we thought baby got Zach worked on multiple levels because the baby literally got our third Zach. But then, you know, you got the baby got back thing. So we rebranded. And yeah, so we play, you know, a little bit around breweries here and there when we can. And it, it's a ton of fun, man. We've had some funny funny live shows like there's one show we had where there's like a nine-year-old kid in the front row I don't know why that kid was at a brewery but he was front row to our show and he literally started getting a nosebleed during one of our songs that's how bad our music was like this kid was just pouring oh yeah yeah I mean yeah. that's that's one for like the trophy case right there we made yeah. we'll melt your face off with our music yeah. totally yeah we always say the more you drink the better we sound that's our mantra <laughs> Uh, fun fact like my very first I was just like a, a wee lad and I saw uh, Michael Jackson on the Thriller tour and it was at Texas Stadium in Dallas and it was so loud I started puking everywhere you know just a little kid you know it was from the noise I apparently or you know little kids they just like yeah. volatile anyway you know that's insane that is insane they, they probably fed me a bunch of like popcorn and soda and this sort of thing as well but it's the texas state fair i mean who knows what you ate right texas stadium texas stadium where where the cowboys used to play yeah oh got it got it got it i was thinking he had a few deep fried oreos or something there's something (laughs) yeah butter fried butter can't go wrong right well maybe maybe i can introduce you really quick zach we're (laughs) professionals here right um, but uh, Zach Love is a husband, father, musician, and sports fanatic who enjoys spending time with family and friends. A UNC Tar Heel and Carolina Panthers fan. He holds a PhD in industrial organizational psychology and an ICF certification for executive coaching. Um, he's currently the director of org effectiveness at Ally Financial, leading employee listening assessments and coaching. And he started his own company, Insights with Love, that provides coaching and analytic services. I'm also an adjunct at Queens University of Charlotte, teaching people analytics in the McCall School of Business. Zach, Dr. Love, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Keep going, Cole. That, that sounds great, man. You got anything else there? Or? <laughs> no, I, I have nothing else complimentary to say of you Good. today, but uh, we, we've been friends for a while and uh, I'm I'm a big fan. I think you've got the most chill personality in people analytics. And so I've been really looking forward to having you on here, buddy. Thanks, man. Me too. It's uh, it's an honor to receive that award from you. I'm not sure where that sits among your people analytics awards, but we'll take it. You know, I would say fairly high. We need more chillness. Mm-hmm. We, we got enough uh, unchill, as it were. <laughs> well, part part of that intro, which I'm actually curious about, Zach, is the sports fanatic side of things. I know you and I kind of hit it off talking about golf historically, but one of the things I learned from kind of prepping for this was how you have wanted to kind of bring IO psychology assessment into sports analytics, specifically thinking about the NFL. Do you want to talk about that at all? 
Yeah, you know, I had, it was an interesting journey, probably, you know, not unlike many of us who ended up in IO, right? So I started pre-med at UNC. I flunked out of chemistry, did not agree with that. Um, eventually found Psych 101 and it just clicked with me. I've always loved people kind of figuring out what makes them tick. And uh, then I had the existential crisis of what do you do with a bachelor's in psych? So I had, you know, grad school is kind of the natural next step. And so I was at the, do I go clinical? Do I do something else? I'd never heard of IO. And I interned at a psychiatric hospital and quickly found out that was not the route I wanted to go. But mm -hmm. I was interested in the people that work there and what made them happy. Why did they stay on the job? Super stressful job <clears throat> that many folks had there. And so I kind of latched on to this idea of, you know, people spend 70% of their lives at work. If we can just make it 1% better, the tremendous impact that has. And then, you know, being a sports fan, also <clears throat> paying, paying attention to things like the NFL Combine, there is no real like psychological assessment. They had the Wonderlick uh, with the Combine. And I think we might all agree that's um, not the best assessment uh, potentially. And in fact, when they started doing studies about it, they found that cornerbacks who scored lower on that assessment tended to perform better so it's kind of counterintuitive so not, not the validity you want right yeah potentially yeah so I you know I, I kind of combined all of that together and found out about IO and it felt like the right fit of people data business and then went on to study engagement at East Carolina and as I was there there's a group out of Brook College who created the NFL player assessment tool PAT, which I was like, y'all nailed it. That is fantastic. And what, what's that? What is the player assessment tool? Yeah. So they created this basically a psychological profile. So they look at things like learning agility, a bunch of different constructs. And they have been doing this for like eight or nine years now. And so they've got tons of data on all of the NFL draft classes. And they've been hired on to help many teams make hiring decisions. And one of the early stories that I heard about that really drew me into IO was there's this guy named Robert Troutline, Bob Troutline, who was hired on. He's an IO. He was hired on by the Colts, Indianapolis Colts, in 1998. And he was hired on to help them evaluate Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf. So on paper, all the data, the stats about them looked identical, Um and so they brought in this IO psychologist to give them a battery uh, of psychological testing. And they they had a strong recommendation to take Peyton Manning over Ryan Leaf because of his mental makeup. And the Colts ended up listening. They took Peyton Manning number one overall. Ryan Leaf went number two. And one of the biggest busts in NFL history. Uh, so that's a high stakes selection decision that they made. And I just thought that was so cool that you can look at people's mental makeup and the application of IO and sports has always uh, been fascinating to me, but that's kind of where that came from. Sports is such a great microcosm of IO because you have not necessarily recruiting, I guess in college you do, but like selection, you go through all the uh, pre-testing, then you actually get people onto a team and you got obviously training and coaching and this sort of stuff, yeah. leadership. Uh, you talk about team cultures, all this sort of stuff. It's such a great way to talk about uh, the things we do in IO. In, in fact, like, have you ever seen the PFF, like the player grades? 
Yeah. Like it's absolutely fantastic. So every player is graded on every play of every game in a way that we wish we could do in a normal business setting. Absolutely. There's like in sports, to your point, there, there's not many other places where you have so much objective public data, yes, about yes. like performance data. So it's just ripe for analytics. And it's, it's so clear that someone won or failed, right? Like if someone scores yeah. a touchdown on you, like it's hard to be like, well, you know, <laughs> it was a minor victory. You know? <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> Who's to say if we really lost yeah. that game? Right. And then it slides so interestingly, a lot of times into gambling, right. And making predictive models about gambling. So while I was in grad school, me and my advisor built this huge data set on all college football games over an eight year span. And just in that study, you know, you hear about home field advantage, but we found it was like 62% of the time the home team won. So that's not a trivial difference, you know, from a betting perspective and, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, you can take that a whole lot of ways with betting and, and gambling, but yeah, it's, it's just, a, it's always been a really cool application to me. We, we covered a story like early on around home field advantage during the COVID pandemic. So you got a situation where there's no crowd in the stadium. And essentially they found is in a couple of different studies was that the distance of the crowd from the field the closer they are, the more calls that the uh, ref were to give and the bigger the crowd. So the ref is actually feeling this like social pressure to give, in this case, it's soccer, football, however you want to call it, uh, give penalties and uh, goal kicks and this sort of stuff. So the the home field advantage is real. You just need like a really rowdy crowd close up on the ref to get it. Yeah, we need to manipulate uh, the distance variable there and also the alcohol variable. (laughs) (laughs) That's really cool, though. You know, it's those kind of unique things about, I mean, you hear about in the NFL too, like going for two now is almost commonplace. Like you got teams going uh, for two and going for it on fourth down more than we've ever seen. And that's driven in large part by analytics. So it's cool to see it actually impact decision making too at that level yeah did you guys ever come across there was this high school coach in arkansas who never punted and never uh <laughs> never like uh never <laughs> I think he always never kicked off and always went for two and he like was like the best high school coach in like arkansas history or something like that so yeah. I, I don't know if those numbers still hold up because i'm assuming that nfl teams have have kind of you know, corrected for a lot of, you know, I, I think there's kind of a shifting base of like how effective these things are over time, but absolutely. I didn't they even move back the PAT attempts yeah. to try to make more people go for it into. They did. Yeah, yeah. And I think that coach, there's one game I read the reason I read about him Cole, is I think he had beaten some team like 112 to nothing. <laughs> so on top of like not punting, he just went for blood. Like at some point you've won the game. Let's have some dignity <laughs> and respect. Um, Unfortunately, the same coach went to the college level. And I think the first two games he won handily, but when he got into real competition, he started getting drilled because like, if you're never punting from your own five yard line, Right. <laughs> it starts adding up quick. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, Let the me calculus like... is a little bit different. High school kids, like half the time, they're going to muff the punt anyway. And so it probably it's a lot different in college <laughs> where people are actually good at their jobs. A hundred percent. 
Did you two ever play uh, like Madden and always go for two and like never punt and this sort of stuff? Yeah, you know, that's I know that that Cole is probably a nice tee up. I don't know if that was intentional, Scotty, but that was on our uh, pre-read here. And I did play an unhealthy amount of Madden (laughs) uh, to the extent that at one point I was ranked 89th in the world. Not that you want to brag about being 89th about anything, but that was pretty cool. And, you know, we had a tournament at UNC and at the time Madden you could do 3v3 online and so I placed in the top three at UNC and there's this big intercollegiate tournament and we we collectively mowed down a few ACC teams we end up losing uh, I think to Virginia or Virginia Tech and they went on and the winners of that intercollegiate 3v3 Madden tournament went on to play at halftime of the Super Bowl at the Dallas Cowboys stand when they first held it at the new stadium. So they played like on the big screen and there's a lot of nostalgia and, um, you know, regret about not doing better after seeing that being the result. <laughs> but yes, I did, uh, Scotty play quite a bit of Madden and I did go for two quite a bit as well. well. Like, how does this work? Like, how do you even get ranked? You just like enter tournaments and like all of a sudden, like you're on the national stage and yeah, like it, you know, you play online uh, against global, anybody who's online. And, you know, I just reeled off that summer. I was playing a ton and reeled off like 80 straight wins and, you know, your, your ranking climbs. And, you know, there's that was a time where like the Madden bus was a thing where you had like yeah, yeah, yeah. the bus and playing, you know, those big tournaments. And so I just, you know, I didn't have a lot going on one summer and dedicated you know, <laughs> most of my brain to that. <laughs> yeah. Is there like a people analytics uh, slant to this? Like, did you like manipulate the team to like uh, uh, best position the talent that you were given or anything like that? You know, what's interesting is I found in a lot of that, it's getting to know your opponent and their mm. tendencies, right? So even outside of the game, like I I played football in high school and I was halfway decent, uh, played against Brandon Spikes, if you remember him. Yeah, yeah. I tried to block that guy. That guy absolutely crushed me. Um, <laughs> But so I knew the game of football and some of the tactics, but at some point it shifts into, do you know who you're playing against? Um, And some of that's kind of, there's some people analytics elements to that, just kind of knowing, you know, what makes that person tick, trying to predict their behavior. And so with, with Madden, I want, we can get off Madden anytime you want, by the way, (laughs) but like there's things you can do like shifting players uh, before pre-snap so you can move players around. And you can get a sense for what coverage they're in, not unlike what actually happens in the NFL. And so I think, you know, the ability to kind of predict what's going on on, on the other side of the table, so to speak, is um, is valuable there. Well, like, like Mike Tyson said, you know, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? So like you can have all the skill in the world, but once you run up against someone with like that much power, yeah, that, that much technique. Yeah, like or you, if you rose with that skill. Uh-huh. Or you just go like my hero, Marshawn Lynch. I'm repping his stuff today, beast mode. And you just run through someone's face. That's what he said. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You run through someone's face over and over and over again. And, you know. Go eat Skittles, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like this could be a continuing segment on the podcast, Scott, of like, what are you 89th best in the world at? Right. Yeah. Is there anything you're the 89th best at in the world? I, at one time, I I was not ranked anything like that, but I, I would say I was top 50 golden eye player nice. back in the day. Like I yeah. I didn't 
I, I would beat the shit out of everybody to the point where I lost a roommate. We're no longer friends. It caused a lot of strife. Yeah. <laughs> that was an awesome game. It, it, I think it holds up, man. I think it holds up. We had a call 100%. with uh, with Nicholas Bremner who says that, like, no, it's not the same. But uh, yeah, it does not hold up. I, I, I disagree. <laughs> I, I still have my N64. I bust it out once a year. Yeah. Just see if it still works. I don't know. I feel like I'm probably like the 89th best people in Lakes podcast host. So. <laughs> Are there that <laughs> many? Yeah. out of 89 total? I don't know. I mean, maybe the maybe out of 70. Who knows? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think you're far better than you think, Cole. I promise you. Cole just needs more coaching, this sort of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like if I just had a coach who was ICF certified. Yes. They they could really, you know, play up my strings, diminish <laughs> my weaknesses. I guess that's actually a good question because I know there's a lot of debate about this. Are you a strengths guy or an improve the weaknesses guy or a both? You know, it's it's such a great question. And by the way, I heard that cuss word, Scotty. So I think your Apple rating just shifted from clean. Uh, by the way, I was going to congratulate you both on having a clean Apple rating, uh, but maybe after this, that'll <laughs> We honestly I didn't know we had one. Sorry. I know that. See, you got to yeah. do your research, guys. That's important. But yeah, to answer your question, Cole, you know, it's funny because I just came out of getting certified in a tool called the Actualized Leader Profile. So one of my colleagues at Queens, Will Sparks, has um, an assessment, a whole suite of assessments called the Actualized Leader Profile. And oddly enough, his take is that we over-focus on strengths in coaching mm -hmm. in general. So he focused on the Jungian kind of shadow and the shadow behavior. So he went deep on that side of the equation. And it really, for me, Cole, if you had asked me before I went to this, I would have said strengths all day long, you know, I got certified in the EQI, emotional intelligence. And I think generally my mindset still very much is focus on strengths, but going through that certification, I got a huge appreciation for not glossing over, you know, the shadow and, you know, some of the dark side of our personalities and who we are as well. So I think it truly, like anything else, it's a balance. Well, tell us more about what that means um, in case someone's not familiar with like, you know, the dark or the shadow side or the dark side of personality or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, you got like in Cole, you probably speak more intelligently than me, but there's like the whole dark triad of uh, personality, right, with narcissistic type behaviors, among other things. And, you know, with with young, it's like there's this part of us that we may not consciously know. It's like the unconscious. And he even talked about the collective unconscious that we all as human mm -hmm. beings have this sort of collective unconscious that we share. So, you know, Will's focus in this book is he took kind of a needs-based approach. So he kind of combined Maslow and Jung and all that stuff. And he found that, you know, generally there's kind of three archetypes of people, an affirmer, an achiever, and an asserter. And those generally have different needs and they have different shadow behavior. So, you know, for me, as you could probably guess, Cole, just hearing uh, the words, I'm an affirmer. Uh, so I'm very much relationship driven, people type person. Um, but, you know, my shadow shows up <clears throat> in different ways. You know, I may not be as... Um, 
you know, I may be overly cautious with conflict as an example. So, you know, just based on who I am, my personal life experience, I may shy away from conflict. Um, so different sorts of shadow type behaviors like that, becoming aware of that and then strategies to combat it and face your shadow. I don't know if so that's- is there is there a shadow for each persona? Like would an affirmer have a consistent set of shadow characteristics and I can't remember the other two you said, but would they have their own version? Exactly. And I'm not, I, I say I got certified in it. This was like a brief three-day thing. So I'm by no means an expert, <laughs> um, but yeah, the asserter and the achiever um, both have shadow behaviors, characteristics as well. It, it's amazing. Like the early days of psychology, you know, the, these young Freud, I, sometimes I think we uh, kind of, you know, kind of dismiss their, uh, theories today but they were no fools you know the, a, a lot of this stuff was developed through like introspection and it still holds up uh in, in ways that we can relate to now and in fact like obviously you're using this in like coaching practices absolutely yeah i've, I've been thinking about loving my mother and killing my father frequently so you know like it the, really the, holds the, up the devouring mother i mean there's <laughs> there's truth to that <laughs> yeah yeah. And, you yeah. know, I think there's a lot of debate about things like the Myers-Briggs, you hear about Enneagram, you hear about uh -huh. the DISC and some of these. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's a tool, much like I think the parallel in people analytics is there's a whole lot of tools out there. It's finding the right one and the one that resonates and solves the problem. Can we rant on something real quick? I think oh, this would be show, so much baby. fun. Yeah. Bring like, it. have you seen these colors assessments? It's like, what color are you? Inside, it's just like, I mean, I think there's a few of them, yeah. but uh, it's just like, are you a red or a yellow? <laughs> and it's, it's like people put so much stock into this. And I even saw one one time. It was literally like they put four cards on a table and you looked at the words that were on the card and that just became your color. I was like, man, this is really psychologically valid. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> and the crazy part is yeah. it was pro like, the normal median human being likes those assessments better than they like, like the really valid ones. You know, there's probably a bunch of people who like the wonder licks out there because they're simple and easy to understand. It gets really tribalistic too. It's like you go into an office, like, well, all the reds go over in that corner. And like, it, it makes like a really easy sort of training deal. But like, I mean, like once you bring like the actual psychometrics into it or like the validation. And we love to categorize people, right? Humans have been doing that forever, right? So you get, yeah. you give us a two by two and we go nuts. So you get introversion, extroversion, you get task and relationship oriented and you, you go to town on it, right? Boy, I worked at a company years ago and they had us take the MBTI. I was like, okay, whatever. But then they made us wear like little hats with our label, whatever they call them. And it's like, okay, like what the fuck is going on? That's like diversity day on the office. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's what did yeah. you learn about yourself there? I learned that I need to get out of this company. <laughs> you know that that could be the right insight for you it was it turned out to be a horrible horrible place to work well zach do you mind if we come back to kind of the coaching point for a second i'm just i'm curious because i know this is kind of one of the things that you've been leaning into the last few years is there anything that you do to like start off your conversations with a potential client of yours or is there like a a method you subscribe to that you're like, really, I, I stand by this and this I've seen it work over and over again. 
Yeah, you know, I'm still very new to this journey, Cole and Scotty, but I'd say, you know, a lot of the basics, even like from a clinical therapy perspective of getting rapport, right, is huge. So I think, you know, the first session generally getting to know each other is a big piece of that. And that's just kind of goes back to who I am. I am fairly informal relationship driven. I really want to create an atmosphere of trust and kind of that Rogerian type therapy environment, right? Um, but then, you know, I think the model that I really like that I learned is called the good model. And so G is goals, O, first O is options, second O is obstacles, and the D is do. So either like across the entire span of a coaching uh, relationship or even within a coaching session, you know, we're going to talk about your goals. We're going to talk about options you have to move forward, obstacles that are getting in the way. And then what are you going to do about it? And that's the beauty of coaching to me. And I even one of the reasons I kind of I think I mentioned it in my LinkedIn post, but one of the reasons I even got into coaching was Ted Lasso, which we just finished last night. Uh, So no spoilers, but you know, just, I, I think there's such a profound impact you can have on people by just sitting and being with them and listening uh, in a very, un, you know, um, uh, sort of unbiased way or objective way. And, I, and there's just a lot of power in that for me. So I, I think, you know, I like the good model. Generally, it's about bit, building rapport. And then me, you know, I'm thinking through what assessment might be a good fit, um, depending on the goals someone has. We- Well, you're the perfect person to ask this question to then, because I have watched some of Ted Lasso. Do you think a Ted Lasso character who knew nothing about a sport (laughs) would work in the real world? Like if they like, you know, somebody just took over the New England Patriots, you know, from they, they were a soccer coach before, but they had Ted Lasso's, you know, coaching ability and Uh and just relentless positivity would it work out or would they just bring back bill belichick you know right yeah that's an extreme example i love the question <laughs> and the hypothetical um and you know what it reminds me of some research that was done and i'm gonna let out my first curse word so get ready but it is called like do you want to basically do you want to work with the competent asshole or the nice incompetent person so they another two by two for you are you an asshole or are you nice? Hey, language, sir. Language, are, sir. Sorry, excuse me. Are, are you? <laughs> <laughs> We're yeah, trying yeah. to keep our clean rating <laughs> on rating, Apple, Zach. Yeah, y'all's rating is down the toilet at this point. So let's, let's keep it going. Down um, the crapper, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the other dimension is, are you competent or not competent? And I think in like a Ted Lasso, you get someone who's not competent per se, but is nice, right? Generally, people want to work with you. Bill Belichick might be more of the crappy person, super competent. And the research showed that. And really hates sleeves, hates hates sleeves sleeves. so much. He does. Yeah. Hates his own physical appearance, it would seem to. And hates, you know, keeping on veterans. Uh, He'd rather slash them. But yeah, no um, kidding. But yeah, so people generally want to work with nice, incompetent people over the competent jerk. Uh, So I think to bring it back to your question, I went on a little segue, but, you know, I think the premise with Ted is he created an inclusive environment. uh, And I think that translates. I think you don't have to be perfectly competent at anything. If you come with the right how, and this is, again, just my my opinion, but if you come with the right how uh, and, you know, create that inclusive, open 
you know, environment, <clears throat> I think you, you'll do a lot better than the other side of the equation, which is the super competent person coming in that treats people like garbage. <laughs> you know, we actually do have an example of this playing out in the real world. Um, and unfortunately, this person passed away not too long ago. But Mike Leach yeah. was actually had never played football before and became a, a head coach of a college football team and was wildly successful. But I wouldn't say he was nice. He definitely fit <laughs> into the uh, non-competent asshole quadrant. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, well, he had something different going on where he was just wildly innovative. He wasn't stuck into the system that he it probably benefited that he did not actually play football and get stuck in the rut of just how we do it, not playing like the wishbone or you know something that might be played when he was in college. Right. Like, hey, we're gonna line up uh seven wide receivers on the other side of the field and just like see this like wild ass formations and see what happens, just confuse the hell out of opponents. <laughs> but i think i think there was like a hockey coach essentially said like the key to being a good coach is first have a great team yes so where do you sit on that then scotty do you think you could take a ted lasso character put him in environment oh, oh clearly not you couldn't take like a college coach and put him into uh, uh let's say championship or league one in um uh, England and make them into a premier league team. It'd be foolish, but you know, Ted Lasso does have a uh, competent staff around him. Uh, not necessarily coach beard, but uh, Oh God. Uh, the other guy, the one that was dating Nate. Yeah. Nate. Oh, Nate. Yeah. He's the one that turned into the a-hole. Yes. Yeah. Beard was pretty competent though. Right. He kind of on the low knew what was going on. Uh, Roy fucking Kent. There you Roy go. Kent. There you go. Yes. He's the competent one. And I I was thinking Beard was the analytics guy. He was bringing in all the stats. Yes. He's kind of like Leech a little bit. I guess maybe Nate. Nate Nate had the innovative formations. Yes. Yeah, I think that's, you know, you hear that about great leaders, right? They surround themselves with people that kind of fill the gaps and that are smarter than them. And yeah, I think there's some logic to that. <clears throat> well, uh, speaking of filling the gaps, uh, Zach, uh, you want to step into uh, the confusion matrix? You know what? I would love to step into the confusion matrix. All right. Prepare Holy to, uh, shit. He just put to... on some crazy ass glasses. <laughs> I, I did not have these ready to go. Yeah, no, you didn't, did you? <laughs> so sorry for those who aren't watching on video, but Zach looks like a race car driver now. Okay. Uh, first, have you ever knocked yourself unconscious? <laughs> that honestly, if I could think of any question that you might ask, that was nowhere near the top of the. Oh, we got a few of these. <laughs> um, is like physically or like via alcohol or you know just in, you know. I'm just really looking for good stories. I mean, if you got something, we're here for it. You know, there. Um, so I wrestled also in high school, um, and I, I could tell you a boatload of stories about um, wrestling in general and the culture and environment. But you know, I have there have been times where I've done certain moves, um, you know, on other folks when I was wrestling, and I'd hit my head and and not myself unconscious for sure. Oh my gosh! I think um, you know I had an illustrious football high school football career and. It was 
probably my fault, but I, you know, I, they put me on kick return once and that was a huge mistake. And that I seems terrifying. Yeah. And I took it and I hit a few spin moves, juked a few guys, and then I got absolutely leveled uh, by someone. I don't think I moved more than two yards forward. I was just spinning around in circles <laughs> and then got leveled. So I think I did that to myself, to be honest, but I did get knocked out pretty good there. Hitting the circle <laughs> button too many times. It's, it's, a, <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. Cole, have you ever been unconscious? A few times, but uh, not self-inflicted ever. I guess one time I stood up too quickly and the, you know, if you stand up too quickly, sometimes you're like the blood rushes out of your head and mm-hmm. I just fell flat on my face in front of my brother. And he was like, so freaked out. He's like, what is going on with you, man? And I was like, oh, <laughs> sorry. I just stood up too fast. Uh, I mean, that is equivalent Impressive. to a kick return. I mean, they're about the same, yeah. really. Yeah. I did. People I did a spin impressive. move on the way down, you know. What about you, Scotty? Uh, I don't know if I've ever been unconscious like by self-inflicted means. Uh, I when I was like in second or third grade, I was playing tag and I ran directly into a like fireman's pole and like kind of backed up and like uh, kept on going. And like two days later, I had this like welt on my head and like vomiting everywhere. Apparently, I vomited a lot as a child. So I mean, that's the way it goes, you know. So um, like involuntary or voluntary that was involuntary just like so brain trauma quite literally so maybe that was mother earth speaking to you scotty when you saw the kid vomiting at the game earlier in that story you told oh that was me that was you oh, okay he, I thought you were he was that kid i was that he was kid. the butter fried butter maybe kid. it was a out-of-body experience who knows i think it was but uh, speaking of like butter fried butter, uh, if you could eat at one restaurant, only one restaurant the rest of your life, where would it be? You know, you, neither one of you will know this. Unfortunately, um, in Charlotte, we have a restaurant that I absolutely love called Stagioni's. It's an Italian restaurant. I'm a big fan of Italian. Um, I would say, you know, that's my one local answer, but yeah. something that resonates with you, I'd say Chick-fil-A a hundred percent. I'm a Chick-fil-A guy. Chick-fil-A solid. Chick-fil-A solid. Yeah. What about you two? <clears throat> I think I would get strategic about it. Uh, you need something with variety. So maybe Cheesecake Factory. They got breakfast. They got dessert. Oh, they awful. got dinner. Ugh. I mean, they got Asian. They got pizza. They got American. I mean, like, yeah. you, I mean, if you could only eat at one restaurant the rest of your life, you're like, eh. See, I'm I'm gonna give the stereotypical Monroe, Louisiana answer, uh, and I'm so excited to talk about this with one of our upcoming guests who happens to be a Monroe. But fucking Johnny's Pizza, I mean, pizza Johnny's Pizza, day. I would eat there forever. No variety, don't care. <laughs> I it, like it's so good. Everybody who comes from other places who tries it says it's average at best. And I love it. I think it's amazing. <laughs> they I have tell. other things aside from pizza. They have garlic knots. You got they have uh they have uh breadsticks that you dip into like nacho cheese and <laughs> or marinara, um, which are excellent and also horrible for you. Um, but and I'm trying to think what else they have um yeah, I mean basically a lot of variants of just bread and marinara and cheese. How much money Cole, have you spent at this establishment? Would you guess? I mean, I thousands of dollars, and okay. it used to be. Um, it was this did not work well, and obviously, I changed this strategy before I met my wife. 
I used to take every girl that I wanted to go on a date with there for my first date just to see because like you got to be a special kind of girl <laughs> if you're yeah. gonna go yeah. if you're gonna like Johnny's pizza. It's the a ultimate, test, right? The ultimate it is a test. test. It was absolutely a test. This was my psychometric profile I was creating of these women. And also, I can only imagine all the girls in that pool, Cole, they definitely talked to one another. So they had a game plan going in. So, you know, they had a good idea of what to expect. Probably knew exactly what to order. Yeah, there was like a like a therapy group therapy afterwards. Like he took you to Johnny's, too. Oh, my God. Cole trashes the Cheesecake Factory, but. <laughs> yeah, uh, opt right. for Johnny's uh, Pizza and sweeping the swamp as they're known. Well, for. my thing with the Cheesecake Factory is I've had bad service every time I've ever been there, and the food was not very good. I guess that's not really a good argument because I always get bad service at Johnny's Pizza too. But oh, that's yeah. another story. Here it is. So, is it like the yeah. Cheesecake Factory in Monroe? No, there actually isn't one in Monroe. I don't think the ones <laughs> I've been to are up in in Dallas. But uh, I'm trying to think. Like it's kind of like we we use the Waffle House on here quite often. There's a good kind of bad service, and then mm-hmm. there's a bad mm-hmm. kind of bad service. Waffle House and Johnny's Pizza have the good kind of bad service, whereas Cheesecake Factory has the bad kind, in my opinion. You a Waffle House guy, Zach? I am. And by the way, I do. I, I After hearing both of your debates and logic, I'm siding with Scotty on this one. Um, <laughs> in terms of you've never even had it. You don't know. You don't, you don't you, know. You described it in such great detail, Cole. But I'll say this next time we fly down, we play some golf together. We're going to celebrate at Johnny's Pizza afterwards. We are. We're going to get a sweep the kitchen and a sweep the swamp just so you know what those are like. And they literally put things that you would find in a swamp on the pizza so there you go oh so they what could go wrong we we can cut this whole part out i don't care i just sometimes (laughs) like to go on a full louisiana rant because no one understands and it's like it's this fantastic place where everybody is obese because they have amazing food and it's just like oh come on it's amazing well i mean johnny's pizza not a sponsor could be so i'll say they're fantastic too why not there you go you got to rep your right. city, Cole. I, I'm from a small place called Gastonia, North Carolina, a.k.a. Clastonia, a.k.a. Don't Get It On Ya. Um, <laughs> so I, I completely, you got to have your spot there. There's a place called Aro's Barbecue. So we have a lot of barbecue in Gastonia. And now that I'm thinking about it, that might, I might have to amend my choice. But you got to, you know, you got to rep your city. Well, so like this is a good point. Is this the North Carolina barbecue with the vinegar sauce? Is this what that is? Uh, this is red sauce. So you got the the mountains. So Gastonia is technically west of Charlotte. So west side North Carolina is all red sauce, ketchup base. Eastern North Carolina is where you find that good vinegar based uh, based barbecue. See, that's barbecue. why I like the, my favorite parts of this podcast. We get to talk to people about First of all, themselves and like obscure references that nobody's going to care about. But you get to learn things like where's the ketchup part of North Carolina versus the vinegar part. These are great things. I would never have known. Yeah, because you never come visit me, Cole. We got which we got to talk about. Um, but we'll see. I used to live there. I lived in Raleigh. Yeah, that's right. You did. My mistake. Scotty, you asked a question earlier. Uh, I don't know. Did I like, uh, where would you eat? Yeah. yeah That's how we got here. It was a follow-up on the restaurant thing though. You asked me specifically about one restaurant. I sorry about it's probably the glasses. I'm I'm mesmerized, mesmerized by it. 
I think we've exhausted this just in the interest of time. Y'all want to move on to the nerdery? Your call, guys. I'm game for whatever. If we do, do you, I'm going to remove these, respectfully remove these glasses. <laughs> you want to enter a world of uh, wonder and amazement? Yes, sir. Take me to the chocolate factory. <laughs> let's do it. Well, let's take you to the airport. Are you an airport guy? Do you love the airport, Zach? Does anyone like the airport? I, I don't know. Oh, yeah. I love the airport. I love everything about the airport. Stand in line, watching the people, <laughs> everything about it. Do you, you like know, TikToks? I will- I will say Charlotte Douglas just got a brewery built into one of the wings. So we're, we're on the come up a little bit. Um, I do not have TikTok, Scotty, by the way, but I did do the pre-read. So I'm aware of kind of where no we're headed. No worries. Uh, boy, seeing people like drink at like six in the morning. This is what I love about the airport. It's like international waters. You just do whatever the hell you want to do. Like it would not be socially acceptable at any other time or any other place at <laughs> yeah. six in the morning. And you know who else at the airport does whatever they want to do? You know, the cheap airlines like Frontier and Spirit and all that. <laughs> nice, nice. Bring us back to where it should be. So, uh, well, if you do love airports and you do love TikToks, uh, you may think this next thing is impossible. But uh, we got some TikToks there. So Frontier Airlines has instituted a personal item policy. So it's $99 for any bag that does not fit into like their little bag sizer thing right. well well that makes sense like you know they don't want people bringing on the entire life onto the airplane that makes sense but uh there's also a of this 99 dollars, a 10 dollar commission for gate agents for every bag that does not fit into this little sizer thing so this is incentivizing the agents to identify bags that otherwise do fit into this measurement device and cl- classify them as uh, uh, needing a charge, right? People that don't want to pay this $99 is like they're denied boarding and they don't get a refund. And of course, this is leading to customers being upset because there's like videos of people clearly putting these bags in that fit. Oh, and no. they just be like, no, no, you got to pay your money. Uh, so this is uh, obviously a horrible customer experience horrible work setting fantastic if you want to go watch people at the airport though i mean go sit the frontier gate and just watch yeah Uh, if you want to see someone lose their shit oh yeah you know see a bag that fits into the box that it should be able to fit into and then say this doesn't fit you now owe us 99 (laughs) dollars. i promise you if that happened to me i'm losing my mind oh absolutely and they're incentivized to do so it's not that they get ten dollars a pop right (laughs) <laughs> absolutely so they have skin in the game and uh, like this is where like an io could come in and be like whoa guys uh we, we're setting up the wrong psychological principles for overall company success i'm sure there's tons of these customers that will never fly frontier again because of this well and i heard they updated their slogan too it's now frontier you'll get there eventually is oh, what they're, they're going with now is that real? I mean, it's probably true. No, but it, no it's not. <laughs> okay, I was about to say, I was like, wow. I mean, I feel like this. there's actually a lot of lessons to be learned in this, Scott. I don't know if either of you guys in the people analytics sphere has have had to do, you know, sales quota analytics or things like that, but mm. you can really get into hot water by incentivizing people via kind of quotas that are incentivizing the wrong types of behaviors. I think I mentioned this on the pod before a long time ago, but I remember hearing this story about a a company that had like a shipping quota 
And the, the sales workers that work there figured out that they could buy really bricks really cheaply and ship them to no one. But because the bricks weighed a lot, that they would meet their quota earlier. And yeah. therefore, like everybody would ma- make the quota together. And I was like, wow, this sounds like Frontier Airlines. You, you get what you pay for, right? Like, so if you're paying for bag policies, you're going to get bag policies. And it's just pure uh, performance management sort of stuff. Like, how you reward people is what you get on the back end. Absolutely. Humans will find a way, you know? to screw it up um <clears throat> in some way or another yeah it, it it's so interesting to me too because as i was reading more about it the ceo elected to uh his solution was to actually not uh invest in the people right which i think is another <laughs> thing that right so yes he, he decided to invest less than in his employees uh not pay them etc and it's just it's so backwards, right? I think, you know, most conventionally now, hopefully this ideology is catching on, but you take care of your people, they take care of your customers, and it's in that order um, in terms of the operation. So I just thought that was interesting that, you know, after everything kind of tanked a bit, he decided to invest less in his people. It's amazing. Absolutely. So like, as opposed to just paying the employees more, having a better work environment where they don't have to deal with this sort of stuff, he allowed the, their set up the circumstances where the customers supplement the income of their gate agents yeah instead of looking at the compensation system maybe making it worth it maybe listening to the people on the front lines you know oh gosh Mm. i mean with that said like i've i am i'm out on these budget airlines never again i I did it once from a flight actually from psyop to uh psyop in chicago to dallas had the option to stay over one extra night. It's like, oh, there's a flight for like $130. But after they charged me for like not printing out my boarding pass in time, it's like $40. Mm-hmm. And like my luggage is like $120. I could have bought a cheaper one-way ticket on probably like business class on, you know, any of the other major carriers. And like, oh, horrible. Never again. Never again. Well, that that sounds like a scam, Scott. Um, but one of the things I was really curious about was this other scam that you came across about Circuit City. Uh, this was this was classic. This was for the ages. Uh, I don't know. Do you want to tee that up? Boy, I, I thought you were going to run the ball there. But um, <laughs> yeah. well, so well. in in two thousand nine, do, do we all remember Circuit City? A hundred percent. Absolutely. Yes. Did either of y'all work at Circuit City? Uh, well, yeah. after reading this, I'm going to say that I was the CEO of Circuit exactly, City. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So Circuit City went out of business in 2009, which set up a circumstance where like anyone that had gaps in their resume or like had little experience or poor experience, they could essentially just say, I was a floor manager, I was a shift leader, I was whatever at Circuit City and have their, you know, lackey friends as a reference and back them up and say like, yeah, absolutely. Zach and Cole were the best floor managers I've ever seen at Circuit City. And no one's the wiser. There's no one to cross-reference this with other than these supposed references. And you could essentially jumpstart your career this way. When didn't that he is- go a little bit further and talk about how Twitter had laid off? With no HR employment validation. So now we're all engineers at Twitter. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That is a bold strategy, Cotton. 
you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you desperate times call for desperate measures, I suppose, right? Yeah, and then it, it made me start thinking, well, now, you know, I can add Blockbuster to my resume. I'm thinking about, like, even, like, PGA Tour and Live right now. I wonder if the PGA <laughs> Tour guys can say they worked uh, for Live and got paid there, you know, like, that maybe they explore that before this merger like happened. everywhere Zach went, the place failed. He's amazing. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's like the Black Widow. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I thought of was like, because this for me, and I was reading, thinking about a little bit more. It, I mean, I'm sure there's like employment verification, W-2 type of activity that could combat it. But then also, and Cole, you probably remember all this stuff, but like integrity testing. I wonder, you know. That, that's where I went in my head is like up front, like how do you even know? Because integrity test, yeah. I think, remains a pretty solid predictor of performance and all that stuff. So that's kind of where I went in my head. That's kind of where yeah, I went the, as well. Uh, basic just assessment of employees, like less reliance on references and resumes and more on assessing the skills that skills. fit the actual job. Yes. No, I mean, just asking people, would you be willing to lie and say you worked at Circuit City just to get ahead in the world? Yeah. Well, that's just an intelligence test in itself. Be like, <laughs> if they answer yes, it's like, oh, well, you just clearly don't. You're not smart enough to say no, I guess. No, I was just, I'm like, this has worked for people in theory. In theory, who yeah. knows? It, it would it would be like a lower to me, medium tier job, clearly, and may, maybe just be set up for success at uh, Best Buy or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, another one that's going to go out of business. But um, I mean, I, don't let facts get in the way of a good story. You know, like let's yeah. not step on it too much. But um, what's what seems to kind of be becoming somewhat of a recurring segment in the nerdery is you know, Cole talking about generations. So we saw um, this new article coming out about millennials and Gen Z folks won't apply to a job if it doesn't list the salary. Um, and I, I thought this was interesting um, on a few fronts. One is, I, I think as a human being, I, I actually kind of understand this, like yeah. why jobs forever haven't been listing salaries on them, except for, you know, a lot of hourly jobs do list like an hourly wage sometimes. But we're having to pass all these legislative things around the country to try to get salary bans listed in the job description. We've talked about it on the podcast before. But then I have this internal conflict because I've seen some of this research, which actually um, we talked about with Sekou Burmese a while back, a UNC guy, uh, Zach, which showed that when salaries are listed in the job, people are less likely to negotiate and therefore everyone's salary uh, or everyone's wages gets lowered because the salaries are listed. And so I wonder, you know, I've seen tons of stuff that show that Gen Z and millennials are behind on their career earnings than they would be of previous generations. Is this actually going to hurt and continue that trend um, because of people's, I guess, inability to negotiate or deal with ambiguity of not having salary information? Wow. <clears throat> Well, first of all, and I don't want to open a big can of worms here, but I'm curious because you mentioned generations. Is is that construct a myth to you all? Is it because for me, let me and let me elaborate a little bit. I tend to see more value in age and tenure in terms of their explanatory power. 
I think, and this is like my hot take kind of stimulating debate, but it, generations, I don't, I think they're a bit overstated in terms of like their predictive power, their meaning. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious where you two stand on that first and foremost um, before we get into the comp piece, though. <clears throat> uh, I, I would say it, it's shorthand. It is shorthand for a collection of behaviors or social norms for specific groups. Of course, there's far more variance across than, than there is within, you know, this sort of thing. Uh, it, it's just easier to talk about that way. I think you're absolutely right that, um, say, people that have been in the workforce for 30 years have a different operating model just by virtue of going to the office for 30 years than someone that's been in the office for three months is straight out of school. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much on the, and there's lots of research that supports this. It's life stages, not generations. Right. And everybody goes to the same life stages. I will say that the one leg that generations have to stand on is how fundamental shifts in in hu- the human experience change from generations. Sometimes yes. like some grew up before the Internet, some grew up before the cell phone, some grew up before social media. But all that to say, I think if those previous generations had grown up in the same way they would be fundamentally the same. It is a life stage type of thing. But, mm-hmm. you, you know, I mean, frankly, like a lot of these reinforcement learning algorithms are kind of reprogramming the human experience in a lot of ways. And so I do think that folks that interact with those more probably are qualitatively different than folks who don't interact with them. Not a, yeah, and I certainly don't mean to trash on generation. I'm just coming from a place of curiosity because I just... You know, I, I always want to hear different perspectives on things like that. I just you hear a lot about generations. So I just yeah, I was curious where you two net out. <clears throat> well, it's kind of like the colors assessment from earlier. People just like creating categories. But from like a uh, uh, negotiating standpoint, you know, one of the tenets is like never throw out the first number. So if sure. a number is listed on the application or you know the job posting, well, that that's the starting point. Yeah, that's going to be the limiter. And then you've got, you know, this generation is one of the most diverse generations of all time. So then if that compression happens, like my my UNC pal said, do we do we make any progress on pay equity as a whole? Because Mm -hmm. one of the ways you combat pay equity is you make that transparent up front. And so you're not carrying over previous inequities into your organization. So if females are being underpaid before are you just perpetuating the cycle by not mm-hmm. bringing any transparency to the process? So it, it's an interesting thought, you know, I don't, I, I tend to opt for more transparency than less on things like this. Um, but that unintended consequence is interesting, you know, maybe not negotiating as much. I, I encourage people to actually check out this uh, link though, because it's, it's beyond just Gen Z or whomever not applying for the job. It's a collection of, shitty things that happened on the job and like the one that like resonated with me was uh someone showed a slip for a 15 minute longer break and it's like non-transferable gotta give one week notice ahead of time uh can only happen on these days and you must submit it you know blah 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 it's like wow what a fucking shitty environment that must be yeah that sounds horrible this is it, this is why people don't want to work in I don't know 
call centers or what have you, where everything is so regimented this way. Yeah, I, I, reading through all those little things too, Scotty, I just, I, and I keep coming back to this, we have to fundamentally rethink how we do work. And I think, you know, we see burnout through the roof, mm -hmm. engagement, love. I mean, it's not rocket science. I think, you know, we've got to do something about folks' workload. You got to increase autonomy and, and meaning and take care of the whole person. I think we've just slowly eroded the psychological contract that exists between employees yeah. and organization. And we just, you know, we've got to fundamentally rethink whether it's four-day work weeks, whether it's, you know, unlimited PTO, whatever kind of works in your context. And that bleeds into the whole flexibility, hybrid remote work thing, which is a big, you know, elephant in a lot of companies' rooms right now. But I think we just got to really rethink how we do work to re-engage this new generation to and moving forward in general. I understand that, like you, you have to uh, supply the people to meet the business needs. So like the reason why that they would have like these schedules is so that uh, someone is on the phone covering shifts, et cetera, so that when people do call, you know, someone's not away from the phone. But boy, talk about a dissatisfier when it's just phrased in this such a way, right? It's, it's, sure. it's worse than doing nothing. Yeah, I'm just, I'm kind of to this point in my life where anytime we start treating humans like cattle, <laughs> mm -hmm. I think that, you know, it's, I don't know if it should be illegal or something, but it's like, it, it, it cuts across a lot of different segments, not just with the example you use, Scott, about, you know, being submitting a, you know, a slip to go on a 15 minute break a weekend in the future. But it's like all this employee monitoring software. It's like, oh, if if, if we wouldn't, if we would do it to cows, yeah. we probably shouldn't be doing it to human beings in the workplace mm -hmm. like that's like I don't know if that should be a, a rule of life or whatever like we shouldn't be branding people I mean that should go without saying we shouldn't <laughs> be, but I mean do you get my like I don't know yeah, do you guys yeah. jive with this at all because like it seems like all the quote-unquote great ideas that have been happening the last few years of people analytics are all about how do we treat human beings more like cattle and I'm like that's not a great idea what are you doing I I've seen this uh in action and it once again, a previous company I worked for where um, IT came with uh, came up with a system where it only allowed you like 10 minutes of web surfing per day, like relaxation time. You had to click a button. And in retrospect, it's like, just because you can do that doesn't mean you should. Mm. Doesn't mean you should. And there's lots of instances like this that could arise, especially as technology grows faster and faster. Cole mentioned employee monitoring. Just because you have the technology doesn't mean you should employ it. Yeah, and there's a book, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to butcher it, but I, if you haven't heard of it, check it out. I think it's called, like, We're All Just Rats in Mazes, and it takes this <laughs> idea and basically applies it to corporate America. All these little experiments we're making, like, let's try um, hoteling at work, for instance. Yeah. Uh, let's try we're just experimenting with people and what are the ethics around it so i i totally buy cole and scotty with where you're headed on this one and i think oh yeah that that brings up something i sent this to scott yesterday and it's actually from our sponsors worklytics they've done some research that shows that a, like workers propensity to want to go back to the office is highly correlated with how dense the desk are at the office. Yeah. So if mm -hmm. you have no privacy and everybody is like breathing down your neck, 
of course you're not going to want to go back to your desk but if you have you know a door you can close and you're far away from folks you can have a some semblance of privacy and humanity oh yeah going back to the office is no big deal and so like i feel like these are things that should often be considered in the research we do there's there's a great uh, natural experiment. I'll just dig it up, see if I can put it in the show notes. But essentially, a office move from a you know cubicle setup to a uh, one of these like you know everyone sits at a long desk you know to encourage open seating, but you know everyone sits at a long desk and they put uh, sociometric badges on them so they can see uh, who they're talking to, how close they're talking, how long, all this sort of stuff, and monitor their email and uh, you know Slack messaging essentially found that when they transferred from this uh, cube setting to this open office setting, people put on headphones, they started slacking each other more. So although it was designed to encourage collaboration and uh, more talking, communication between folks, they essentially shut down. They made their own office by putting on their headphones and like shutting everyone out. Yeah, I mean, we had two or three years in this big natural experiment that was COVID to kind of experience that, our own solitude and create our Mm -hmm. office the way we want it and people want that autonomy back that flexibility that freedom um that control over their work environment um so yeah people people want to sit in the stadium seating like a movie theater and and not be treated (laughs) like a cow you know i mean that's what the people are asking for (laughs) we just want puffy chairs man well said is that actually a sofa couch by the way does that pull out into a bed no, it's 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 seriously, it's like movie theater chairs. There's like three of them in a row. <laughs> That's phenomenal. I think yeah. we're the three of us are definitely taking our places next to you, Cole, at the right. But hand. imagine, so just for this, like, let's continue this line of thinking. Imagine you went to your next job and you showed up on your first day and you had a desk all to yourself and it had a movie theater style puffy chair as the chair you <laughs> sat in. How cool would that be? Wouldn't Isn't that, that the feel? google model right where mm-hmm. they give you like all sorts of amenities I've, I've toured the google office and boy it is awesome and you, you don't have I, a movie theater where you like work from but yeah. maybe that's the new I, uh google glasses though you know you just your vr headset you got yeah, everything the new apple ones or whatever that just came out uh-huh, the apple Vision. yeah yeah yeah. are you guys excited about that you know i I first, got, of course, there's a sports reference here, but I, I, when I read about, and I don't know if it was Apple or whoever, but the idea of you being able to sit courtside at a basketball game via your virtual reality stuff <laughs> is just amazing. That's wild to me. And I just wonder, is that like how we do work in the future? You know, it's just, it's so interesting to me. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm all about it, Cole. I, I'm kind of a junkie with stuff like that. So I'll, I'll be in line. Well, and I'm I'm really curious, but this actually gets to a broader point, uh, Zach, about what what is going to define the boundaries of work in the future? I think again, you like during COVID, everybody was working from home. It was like, when does work stop and when does it end? But like thinking about things like these new Apple glasses, and imagine you use those for personal use and professional use. You know, does work ever end? Mm. <laughs> like yeah. what? what right. Like and and how you know. I mean, is that is that utopian? Is it dystopian? I'm not sure. I don't know. You just fully decentralize. Like you just per like personalize everything. You decide what mix works for you, uh, and what adds the most value. Yeah, I have, that's 
no idea. I'm sure Scotty's got a perspective to enlighten us though. <laughs> well, uh, we're all knowledge workers and uh, it's, it's hard to separate personal life from work life. Like hmm. even when I shut the laptop, I still ruminate on things and it probably become more, um, more potent to, do mental experiments on, you know, what I'm dealing with, like trying to code things or trying to develop specific models. So I, I even now, like, it, it's hard to separate work from play as it were, but like back to like the goggles, like if they could get that down to like sunglass style, <laughs> yeah. or if you want to go like black mirror, you get just like, like the contact lens. Or something like like the, oh, oh yeah. if I could get <laughs> yes. like that. Like, I think, it, I think it's really going to take off. But right now, I think it's, like, just ridiculous looking. Well, tell, tell me what you think about this guy, because this is kind of the, to your point about um, knowledge workers and, and, you know, thinking about something and that being work. I remember I, I golfed with this guy one time who was a lawyer, and he said his firm's policy was, if you're in the shower and you're thinking about work, you should still be able to bill a customer for that. And I was like, first of all, I'm never no. using you as my lawyer now because like that's bullshit. But second of all, is that true? Like, is that really work? I mean, technically, like I hmm. frequently crack the laptop open on Saturdays, Sundays, nights, just because like I had an idea and, you know, want to get it up and running. But that's just the way I roll. I know a lot of people don't. There, There is something appealing to like selling coconuts on the beach and being like, well, we closed the coconut stand. Now it's time for Margaritaville. You know, I'll I'm see if you guys county. catch this reference, but there's always money in the banana stand. <laughs> of course, right? Until you burn it down. I'm too yeah, busy so counting the number of hairs that are falling out of my head in the shower to be thinking about work. You know, there's just that's my <laughs> solitude place. I can't imagine working in the shower. Whatever. Ah. You've got a great mane on you, Scott. I mean, or I mean, Zach, sorry, sorry, whatever. You, you too, Scott. You, have a you, you can on compliment you well. me if you want. I think, uh, I think we've exhausted this and um, as usual, fully gone off the rails. Um, Zach, it's been amazing having you on the guest. Any, any parting words, Scott, for Zach before we wrap this thing up? Uh, yeah, sure. Zach, you, you got the good looks of someone much dumber than you. So it's nice to meet you. <laughs> That's a, that's a first for me. You know, I'm going to tell my wife that actually. Um, I'm going to teach Lady Emma of House Love, my little daughter, uh, to use kind words like that as well. Uh, she turns two tomorrow, by the way. So oh, congratulations! Yeah, Happy but, early birthday! Is a uh, is a uh, two Zach crew playing anytime soon? You know, it, for a price, we do we do have a price. Uh, okay. We can discuss. Um, you know. I, I think first and foremost, we got to get you to some instruments and test you two out. Um, see where you net. <laughs> nope. But we cool. could get you guys to do our intro music or something like that. That would be cool. It's not a bad idea. That, yeah. is, that is pretty good. On that. But yeah, no, it's been an absolute pleasure, especially meeting you, Scotty, for the first time and hanging out. This is fun. And Cole, you know, you know, I love you to death, man. It's been a pleasure. Um yeah, I've been looking forward to this for a while and you completely didn't meet my expectations. So sorry for having you on. No, no, you're amazing, Zach. Well, it's that time. So you've been listening to Direction Correct, a People Linux podcast with Colin Scott and Dr. Zach Love. Thanks for joining us, Zach. Sorry about your Apple rating. <laughs> 
As always, all opinions are owned and do not reflect those of any other organization. You've been listening to Directionally Correct, a People Analytics podcast with Colin Scott.